0: Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands, and you shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for another opportunity to gather in your name. Lord, our hope this morning is that you are glorified. God, as we open your word, God, I ask that you would allow your Holy Spirit to teach us. Lord, you know each person in this room, you know where we're going, you know where we came from, you know what we're struggling with, you know what we're celebrating, and providentially, you have us here. You have us here in in Psalm 128, and Lord, there's not only design, but purpose in the reason we're all here today. And so God, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that today would be another moment that you show your faithfulness to us. God, we love you, and we thank you for loving us first. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. All right. Well, good morning. How's everybody? Look, I know everybody might not have been able to participate in the Reforming Community event this weekend, um, but it was fantastic. And special thanks to Brandon and all the leaders that helped pull that off. And special thanks to you for your attendance. I hope and pray that you were blessed um, by that time together. And so if you were not able to make it, those sessions, there were four total sessions from Ross Lester, and they will be um, online hopefully this week. Lord willing, if we don't have any technical difficulties, we'll be able to get all that up online and you'll be able to listen to it because I know I plan to go back and listen um, to the two that I heard and even the two that I um, wasn't able to attend either. And so it was just a really fantastic weekend. It was so good that I've been practicing my South African accent just to see. I don't know. It was so cool, and I felt like I was listening better because he talked so different. Um, but I can't do it. I can't pull it off. I, I tried, and Charlie just said, no, just stick to with the old country boy. It's not there. Yeah. She's not in here. Yeah, but not in the Chuck. Yep. So your wife will be a fruitful vine within your house. I'm trying to keep it that way, Chuck. All right. But um, seriously, look, if you are a guest today, we'd like to welcome you. Um, if you're a regular attender, we'd like to welcome you, a covenant partner, we welcome you. Also, um, um, if you haven't been in a while, and you're back, we're glad that you're here. We're really thankful that everybody that's here is here today, um, and we trust God um, with, with, with the, the fact that we're here, and our attendance is ultimately part of His plan as I prayed. And so um, if you are a guest and you do have some questions about our ministries as far as children, youth, QUIP groups, which is our uh, men and women specific discipleship groups or community group, anything like that. Or if you have prayer requests, there should be a blue card in the pew in front of you, if you wouldn't mind. Um, just take a second to fill that out and then you see these boxes here in front of me. Um, at the close of the service, you can drop those in those boxes. And, and also, if you feel led to give this morning, that is one way that you can do that. Um, there's also an online giving option. You can go to our website, shcbigsandy.com and you can give online as, as, as well. And so, before I jump in, and I, I think I'm going to be good time-wise today, we did have to start a little bit late, but I want to say this, because um, you know, traditionally we've given you guys a road map of where we're headed, and, and um, up to, until about three months ago, our plan after Easter, after we finish the Psalms of Ascent, they're going to take us into Easter, and then in Easter, um, um, Easter Sunday we'll have just an Easter service centered around the resurrection and the gospel and Jesus, just like every Sunday really, but um, it, obviously it'll be highlighted that Sunday. Um, but then after Easter, our plan was to um, start the book of Exodus. And so we still plan to do Exodus. But one thing that has, has sort of happened over the last six to eight months among our congregation, th- there's just a lot of, of struggling families. Now, there's a lot of families that things are going great, but there's a lot of struggling families. And so uh, as, as an elder team, we've, we've seen that and we've recognized that, and we've, and we've walked beside some of these families um, and, and, and prayed with them and, and really trust in the Lord to, to do what only the Lord can do in a lot of these situations. But coming through that, we felt like it would be good for us as a, as a body to um, ha- have some specific time around the gospel. All right. And, and you go, well, Hank, we do that every week. Well, we do do that every week. But what I mean by that is we want to have a season of gospel clarity. OK, and, I, and we're going to call it a season because we don't know if it's going to be three weeks, if it's going to be six weeks, if it's going to be nine weeks or whatever that looks like. Um, and so, there's a part that we would like for you guys to play in that. And so if if you have questions around the gospel, or or if there's an aspect of the gospel, or or Jesus and the work that he's done, or scripture that um, that is gray to you, or you have trouble understanding the grace side of things, or you have trouble understanding the work side of things, or you have trouble understanding what it means to be justified, or, or what it means to walk with the Lord, or what it means when we die as far as what the gospel says towards that, would you please let us know? Um, uh, you can do that on that blue connection card or you can uh, do it via email. Um, you can just let us know after the service, whatever that looks like for you. Um, we, we just really want you guys to be in, involved in that and we are excited to have that moment because we think it's important for us to have that marker, um, um, you know, that point of reference to look back to as we continue to walk through life together when struggles are going to arise, sin's going to happen. Uh, but we want to be sure that we are clear Um, about what we mean whenever we say the gospel, okay? And and so that's coming. Then we'll do Exodus, and that's going to flow right into Exodus well because Exodus is all about God's people um, spurning the grace that God has shown them, and he continues to show their faithfulness, um, I'm sorry, his faithfulness to them, and they spurn him, and he continues. And so it's going to flow really well coming out of that season of gospel clarity. Um, And one other thing before we move on. If you're hurting, let us know. Some of these situations we've found out about, and honestly, they were already too advanced to really have. I mean, unless God does what only God can do, there's really not anything that we could do. And we don't have any magic wands. We can't guarantee that anything's going to be fixed or that the marriage will be saved or the child will come home or whatever the case may be or the job will, you know, you'll get the job you want. But if you're hurting, let us know so we can pray. And so we can labor with you, so we can help in, in, in ways that we can help. I mean, that's we need each other. If I'm hurting, I need to know that I can come to you guys. And I don't, I don't want to be isolated. I'm not meant to be isolated. And so that's another thing that we've really, I say we as an elder team, just want to be sure that you know that um, we can be transparent here. Because of Jesus and who He is and what He's done, we can be transparent with each other. And there's no sin that His grace... Can't cover. Um, So, we don't want you to be hurting and certainly don't want you to be hurting in isolation. So, all right, moving on. Psalm 128. Most of you know um, that this is a psalm of ascent, and we've been journeying through the Psalms of Ascent for quite a few weeks now, and and this is where we find ourselves. And so, Psalm 127 and 128 sort of take a little bit of a shift to more of a, uh, I mean, it's all practical, but more like family work life, okay? Just kind of the day to day grind of any human, like tomorrow we're going to get up and we're going to, you know, if you have kids, you're going to get them ready for school more than likely and then you're going to try to figure out a way to get out the door on time and, and so just Monday morning's coming, Tuesday morning's coming and so Psalm 127 and 128 really speak to um, just day-to-day life, sort of the mundane, you know, just kind of the everyday things that I have a tendency to think God's not as involved in um, and, and therefore because I, th- I would, might think that God's not as involved in the mundane, then I would think that they're not as important. But friends, I want to just just plainly tell you, scripturally, God is just as involved and just as concerned with how we handle the mundane and how we treat our spouse behind closed doors, how we treat our children behind closed doors, as He is anything that I would even do up here on Sunday mornings. And so there's nothing noble about me standing before you, and let's just use me for an example because it's easy, right? The Me standing before you week after week, preaching the gospel and encouraging you in the Lord, if I don't go home and I'm not doing the same things. I mean, this isn't more noble. The first platform that God has given us to be Christians is in our home and in our workplace. It's probably the second place that he's given us to be Christians. And then as we gather throughout the week and our intention about gathering on Sundays and some on Wednesdays, we come together and maybe the third platform that God has given us to live out the faith that he's called us to. And so Psalm 127 and 128 speak to those first two platforms of the home and the work life of how God has called us to live out our Christianity. Now, um, Psalm one twenty eight is it's going to say some things that might cause some disappointment in your hearts. I mean, it might be frustrating because you're going to read things about these um, happy families and things going well in the, in the family home and and how hard work pays off and how you'll have uh, you know you'll receive fruit from your labors and. And the truth is, because I have some of these struggles myself, the truth is that some of you guys feel like this morning that you've done all you can do and things still haven't worked out the way that you think they should have. And so these disappointments that may arise and these regrets even of wishing that you could have done things differently, I think last week we felt a little bit of that as we talked about anxiety and parenting and just marriage and just regular life. And it's easy for us to think back on all of the things that we've done the wrong way, all right, or wish that we could have done things differently with regret and and with disappointment. And I'm not saying that sin shouldn't be dealt with, but I am saying as believers with disappointment and regret, we look back on those things through the lens of Jesus. And trusting God's providential hand, and because of Jesus and what He's done, the mistakes that we've made in the past... And so the regrets that we have and the disappointments that we have today, because of Jesus, He redeems those. And so the mistakes are, are redeemed and transformed into something that He actually uses for our own good and His glory. And so Christian, don't waller in guilt and shame. There's no place for that in Christianity because Jesus Himself took that completely at Calvary. Now, having said that, I'm going to say some things today because the psalm says it, that speak to an ideal family situation, an ideal work situation. And so let's go ahead and dive in. I feel like there's an echo or I don't know if it's just me, Aaron. Is it just me? A little bit. No, I'm to all the way. Got you. Okay. Sorry. You're doing a great job. man. All right. Verse one. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. Now we're going to kind of start with verse 2 and come back with this idea of fearing the Lord at the end. Verse 2. The psalmist says, You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands, and you shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Hard work pays off. In an ideal scenario. Now again, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about basic principles of humanity. Reaping what you sow, as Scripture says. And so there are times when we put in the work and there are times when that work that we put in bears fruit and it 100% pays off. And so Scripture plainly teaches these things that whenever we work hard in certain things and we're committed and we're men and women of integrity and we do what we say we're going to do and we do it tirelessly and we do it effectively, the fruit that comes from that is plainly taught throughout Scripture. And so, I met with a guy one time that uh, I met at the ballpark, and, and he was not a Christian, but he was his his marriage was falling apart. And so, he he asked me after practice one day. He said, "Hey, could we get together this week?" I said, "Sure, man." And, and so we met. And the first thing he told me, y'all, he said, he said, "Look, the first thing you need to know about me is I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe any of it. I, I'm, you know, I." I'm honestly not really interested in it. I said, okay, that's cool. Well, there's something you need to know about me. It's all I got. The Bible is all I have. And I called his name and I said, man, you really don't want my advice. You don't want me to just tell you what I think you should hear. I feel like you're genuinely coming to me asking for help. And so here's what we're going to do you may not ever come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to talk about that. I'm just going to tell you up front. And so if you want to walk out, go ahead and walk out now. But what I want to challenge you to do, whether you ever come to faith or not, is to apply the principles that Scripture lays out for family. Is it going to be perfect? Somebody help me. No. But they work. More times than not, when we apply the principles of Scripture to our work life and to our family life, we benefit From those things. And so the main blessing, of course, is spiritual in nature, but there still remains a possibility of vast blessings of a more temporal nature. And and the psalmist here is talking about, and what they're celebrating as they sing this hymn on the way to worship in Jerusalem, is the fact that God does, in fact, give good gifts in the form of temporal blessings that we can connect to. Previous decisions that we've made in previous work that we've done with our own hands. Yes, primarily they're spiritual, but yes, there is some contentment and it's a gift in, in fruitful labor. And so it is a blessing of God that we can enjoy the fruits of our labor. And I think you see this from the very beginning. Um, man has worked to that end. Before sin in Genesis, in, in, in the Genesis account, before there was sin, man was still encouraged and required. Work So work itself is not a curse. It's actually good, good for us. Now, if, if you're familiar with the Genesis story, you know that our, our work has significantly become harder and more difficult and causes more stress because of sin. But work in and of itself and, and its fruit are ultimately for our good. So there's something to say, the psalmist is saying here, to the person who works patiently, gratefully receiving, and building in small increases they will not only do well, but they'll be rightly content in their accomplishments. And so here's what this means. And and I know this is so... it, It may feel too practical. It may feel different for me to even be teaching you in this way, but this is what the Bible is saying, that whenever we commit to do just a daily work routine, and we commit to that, and we do it with integrity, and we do it with the principles that the Bible has plainly laid out, there will be some contentment in that. There will there will be some satisfaction in that. And that's not only limited to the Christian. That unbelievers can, if they apply the biblical principles for work and for family, there will be seasons that they experience some sort of contentment and satisfaction for their accomplishments. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18, Solomon considered this and concluded in, in the exact same thing. I think it should be on the screen. Solomon says this, Behold, What I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Verse 19. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions. And listen to what else God gives. He gives the wealth and the possessions, but listen. And power to enjoy them. And to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is is the gift of God. In verse 24, he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. And so Solomon recognizes this grace that God has given that when you work hard, there's fruit that comes. And sometimes God gives this joy when He gives us the power to enjoy it that you don't even remember how hard the work was. And so, So at least we can take away that hard work does pay off but, but, it, but it's more than that because the friends, uh, uh, friends the truth is we can work as hard as we want to work and do everything the right way in this life and experience these seasons of satisfaction and enjoyment but there's one question that will always haunt us if we're leaving it to ourselves and it's this question well then what? Okay, so you're striving for a college degree. Well, then what? Well, then I'm going to start my job, my dream job. Let's just, hey, let's live in this utopia, right? Let's go ahead and live in this ideal, even though probably many of us aren't in this ideal. Some of you are, some of us aren't. But let's go ahead and live in the utopia for the sake of Psalm 128. You get the college degree that you want in, in four years. Is that possible? In four years, right? In four years. And then you get the job that you want. Well, then what? All right, you get the promotion that you want. Well, then what? You find the spouse that you want. Well, then what? You have the kids that you want. Maybe some of you don't. But then what? You get the house that you want. Well, then what? You work for 25, 35, 45 years. Then what? You retire. Then what? Adam? You die. <laughs> then what? Then what? Then what's going to matter? All that's going to matter after that last then what is what we believe about Jesus Christ. And so don't mistake these wonderful principles that the Bible lays out in hard work and the fruit of our labor with you accomplishing some sort of spirituality or righteousness by the work of your own hands. Because you can gain the world and lose what? Your soul. And so the primary blessing that God gives us from work is not ultimately Temporal, the temporal blessings that God allows us to walk through are small little pointers. I wish all of them could have this little flag that just wave and say, remember, this is just a pointer. It's just pointing to a greater satisfaction. It's just pointing to a greater joy. It's just pointing to a greater contentment that only comes through Jesus Christ and will only be realized after that last, then what? So that question's helpful. As I've thought about this, and I thought about just my the own roller coaster of my own life and vocational life of joys and value, you know, all of these different in, in, in my marriage and as a daddy, and just doing like this. I mean, like it's like, whoa, this thing is a roller coaster. Like as soon as you think you got your feet steady, you just wow, there it goes. So there has to be something deeper, right? I mean. Think of how discouraged you would be if I was standing up here in front of you this morning saying if you work hard and in the right way and you think the right way and you do the right thing every time then you will have this result. Most of you would shake your head or you would walk out of here and go I want to believe that so bad. But my experience has said otherwise. My ability has said otherwise. And so this isn't a formula that you always get this result that you desire in the temporal but what this does is it lays out for us the temporal blessings that God gives us that teach us of the eternal blessings that God gives us there will be eternal joy there will be eternal satisfaction there will be eternal contentment and so every time we experience that at any level in this life It's not meant to be celebrated, and and the way we get it is not meant to be idolized. It's meant to be a pointer to a greater joy and a greater contentment that comes. So now, you're going to notice an ascent here. So he starts with the individual, and and he confronts us as individuals working in this way. And so the next step, in verses 3 and 4, it goes from the individual to the home life. And so let's look at verses 3 and (coughs) 4. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The family was the first institution that God gave to man. I don't think that's new to you. Before he instituted the church, before he called a body of people together at his people, he instituted the family. Now it's also important to remember again that this is an experience that God has given to mankind. And so it's not just a a uniquely Christian experience that family is is a gift from God. It's a gift that He's given to mankind. And so this passage calls this imagery of the olive plant. And this is simply what this is. The olive plant would produce new shoots all around it and the new shoots were produced and sustained by the same plant. This is a common image used around um, that they would have to picture this happy family gathered around the table. And so if you want a picture of what the psalmist wants us to see here, is it would be in this cute little Jewish home. And they're all gathered around the table. And you got mom and dad, dad on one end, mom on the other end. And there's all of these little olive shoots just behaving, eating their peas. Not kicking each other under the table. Or making weird body noises at the table. They're just being beautiful, nice, precious Little olive shoots. And I read that and I go, we might be a briar bush <laughs> more than we are an olive shoot in, our, in the Atchison home. And so, but it, that's what it is it's a picture of a happy family, it's an ideal. So do we just write it off because it's not our experience all the time? No. And I don't know if I can speak for everybody in here, but even though you know I'm, I'm pretty transparent with you guys about what our home life is like, and if you want to know more, just come on over. <laughs> Join us. We can use all the help we can get. But there are these moments of joy. There are these moments where you just kind of catch yourself looking into the eyes of your spouse and into your children. You're just overwhelmed with gratitude. I mean, no matter where you are at this point, whether you know, again, I know there's some hurting families in this room, but, but just for the sake of Psalm 128, think back to those moments. And may, You may have to go far back as childhood, or you may even have to go to a movie that you've seen, because you've never experienced it. I don't know. But there are these moments... You just look around. You're just so thankful. You're so thankful that God has allowed us to be in relationship with other humans in this way. That God has allowed us to to be loved and to love in, in, in this way. And this isn't a unique gift that God has given to His church, He's given this gift to mankind. And so I don't think any of us would think that um, a family was supposed to be this constant happy family or it's supposed to be this constant happy experience, but most would understand that there are moments where the blessing is felt. But similar to the verses before, similar to verse 2, this goes further than just a happy family experience that alone in and of itself still has no lasting purpose. Because again, if, if, even if we go with the best case scenario, the utopia, and we ask the question, then what? The truth is, every single human being that is in your home right now will stand before Jesus. And they will not stand before Jesus on the basis of how you did as a mother or how you did as a father. They won't stand before Jesus on the basis of the work that they were able to do on their own, but they will stand before Jesus. And because of that reality, a biblical understanding of family It's where we find that family has a purpose that transcends any earthly hope it brings, no matter the circumstances. God has given us a gift to us, one another. And He's given us a gift to one another, as I said, to be loved and to love in the way that we're called to love as husbands and wives and as between parents and their children. But it's greater than that because what God has given us in the family unit is a place to understand the love that He has for us. You know the two primary ways that God has used to describe His love for us? He calls His people His bride, and He calls His people His what? His children. His children. So I hope you begin to see the purpose. I mean, when I meet with um, young couples that are about to get married, or not necessarily young couples, but couples that I'm going to officiate their wedding I mean, if we don't get to anything else, I want them to know and understand what the purpose of marriage is because the purpose of the marriage is not just so that you like, live happily ever after and you just kind of yuck it up for the rest of your life together. There's a meaning and a purpose to marriage that transcends happiness, that transcends any earthly pres- uh, pleasure that marriage can bring. And it's to know that God has given us these relationships to understand more of the love that he has for us. But also he's given us these relationships so that we can grow more in the grace and knowledge of himself. There's not, there has not been a more sanctifying tool in my life than to be a husband. Nothing has confronted my selfishness more, my sin more, than having to live that closely with another human. Am I the only one? Nothing... Second to being a husband that's confronted my sin more is being a dad. I mean, literally, there's nothing else on this planet that has gotten more into my personal space and confronted more my selfishness than me just wanting, like, constantly having to go, oh, I can't do what I want to do again. <laughs> and that's good. Because God has been gracious to put us in these relationships where we're forced to do exactly what He's called us to do. I hope you do. If you don't, then you're family's probably not going to work. In Philippians 2, 4, he says, look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. The banner that flies over Christianity. And the first place to do that is in your home. And so his point here is a commitment to family life as God has ordained it, which gives... It's about giving and receiving sacrificial love. It's about giving and receiving discipleship. You know who the primarily, uh, primary discipler has been in my life? My wife. My wife. We're being sanctified together. Not only as adults, but also our children are being sanctified. The home is a beautiful institution. It's messy. It's dysfunctional. But we have to keep in mind that God has laid out a very clear strategy and plan for family. And what this psalm promises is that if we commit to these things, it's not going to be perfect. That's not what it promises. But if we commit to these principles, and we commit to the way that God has called families to function and operate, then we will see blessing. We will see a blessedness. Not only temporal, but also a blessedness that's eternal. And you see that even in verse 6. Where he says, may you see your children's children. Who's he talking about there? Grandchildren. Again, there's this blessedness. Part of this blessedness is designed so that children should recognize the great blessing that they had in their home. And they grow up and they strive to produce the same thing for their children. And then the grandparents will have this double blessing of seeing yet another generation growing in the Lord. Is that the way it always works? Does that mean we shouldn't strive towards it? No. No. Yes, this is ideal, and we may fall short, but it's not an unattainable utopia. We can confidently, because it's Scripture, we can confidently direct our lives towards this. Now, in closing, there's one key ingredient here. And you see it at the very beginning in verse 1, and then you see it in verse 4. It as blessed as everyone who fears the Lord. And down in verse 4, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. I, th- I think the fear of the Lord is something that needs some defining. Right? Rightfully so. Because I think probably everybody in this room has some sort of fear of the Lord. In some capacity. Some of you fear the Lord. And instead of using the word fear... It might would be better to describe that word as terror. Terror. Like you fear the Lord because you believe that He is as powerful as His Word says He is, and that you've read the Old Testament and you know what He is capable of when He decides to execute His judgment. And so you're scared. And maybe that's the way the gospel has been communicated to you that, hey, as long as you do what you're supposed to do, I mean, it could have been from this very psalm, as long as you do what you're supposed to do, and you have fear knowing that if you mess up, He's zapping you. Or you're going to get cancer, or you're going to lose a child, or you're going to lose your job, or you're going whatever is going to happen. And so you function in your Christian walk with this terror of the Lord. But but the psalmist says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. I mean, there's not blessedness that comes from terror of the Lord. Should there be a terror? Yes. Yes. Should there be a terror for God's children? No, I'm going to get to that in a second. But for those who have not, if you're here today and you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ you should have a terror of the Lord. Because the Bible is clear. That those who do not come to the Father through the Son stand to face an eternal judgment and a punishment. And He has the power and the right to execute His wrath on sinners. He's just and He's right in doing that. And He will do it in a way that exalts His glory. And somehow, as Revelation says, there will be worship around the judgment throne. God will be glorified in His wrath being poured out on sinners and those in those who have not placed their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. For the people that stand before God under their own merit and their own work, they face God's wrath. And for that, yes, we should be terrified. There should be fear. And there should be this terror. It's right. I think the Old Testament saints that would have been reading this, they'd have felt this a little more than we do. I mean, would you agree that we have a little bit, think the Lord, a little bit clearer picture of God's grace and God's mercy than they had? I mean, they I don't know if they actually walked through the plagues, but their forefathers did. I mean, they have seen God do some pretty... Horrific things. Let me just say it that way. Because of sin and because of rebellion and because of disobedience. And as hard as it is for me to say what I just said, and some of you are probably rolling your eyes in your heart and mind, this is a basic fundamental truth of the gospel, friends. We need to be saved. We need to be saved from God, not from the devil. Not from our own sin. God saves us. God has made a way for us to be saved from His righteous wrath. And if we have not come to Him in the way that He has laid out through His Son Jesus, then we should have a fear, a terror of God. But this isn't the fear that the psalmist speaks of. Because this fear comes with this feeling and this experience of being blessed. I don't think their fear is could be described by the tormenting fear of self-reproach or guilt or shame. I think the fear mentioned here is one that is in the context of one who has trusted God and has trusted His way. So, so what does it mean to fear the Lord? I'm going to give you a few things that you'll see on the screen the first thing I think it means for the people of God to fear the Lord is there is a fear to offend. It's that in which we have been rescued from destruction and we feel to the rescuer who has powerfully and at the greatest sacrifice acted in our place. And so a healthy fear of God for the believer is not a fear that he's going to zap you. Jesus, uh, Jesus Jesus was zapped. It's a new word. It means Jesus was zapped. In your place. And so a healthy fear of the Lord for us as we move forward just makes sense. I don't, I don't want to offend the one who, at the greatest sacrifice, shed his blood for me. I, th- I think a healthy fear of the Lord and for the Lord's people is a fear to presume on his kindness. We should have a fear. We, have, we should have so much reverence for the Lord, that, and this fear should be present that we don't abuse His grace in such a way as that we sin in the present, banking on a future grace for that sin. That's presuming on His grace and presuming on His kindness. And, and we should have, have a fear not to offend. We should have a fear not pre- to presume on His kindness. We should have a fear that we would forget His goodness. And notice I'm still saying fear, but all of these fears are relieved as we look to the word and gather together and are reminded of his promises and of his goodness and of his gospel. Lastly, we should have a reverent awe for God, which is ultimately what this word means. Who can be so holy and yet so loving. I think this idea of Christian fear can sound contrary to blessedness. It even has this air of misery around it. But I think with the gospel, this word fear and this fear of the Lord, this word turns to gold. turns to gold. Because once you hear that you stand under the judgment and wrath and condemnation of an infinitely holy God as a sinner that's separated from Him with no way in and of ourselves to get to Him, but you hear that that same God has made a way for that sinner to get to Him. And it's not just a bridge that you walk across. When you, as you think about the way that God has made for us to get to Him, and, and in the context of our fear, we look at a bloody, horrific cross. And you have to look at that cross and ask the question, why? Like, like, why did Jesus have to bleed in that way? Why did Jesus have to die in that way? Why did they have to rip his beard out? Why did he have to be mocked? Why did they have to put the crown on him and say, oh, well, Speak now, King of the Jews. Go ahead and save yourself. I mean, why was all of that necessary? Why did Jesus have to feel the spiritual separation from the Father? The Father, somehow in this eternal union, turned his back on the Son. Paul says he became sin. The sinless one became sin. He took on the curse for us. The wrath that we deserve, the punishment from the Father, fell fully and completely on the Son. And so when we look to that cross and we place our faith in that cross, our fears should be alleviated. Especially the fear of God's going to get me or God's going to zap me. Because when you think that way and you say those things, what you're ultimately saying is the blood that Jesus shed wasn't enough. And so you're walking in a fear that's unnecessary. Condemnation is not looming for you, child of God. There's not a chance that your sin surface is unforgiven. You don't have to fear standing before God one day and say, I hope I got it right if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so really, fear of the Lord in a healthy sense, in the context of the gospel, it alleviates all petty fears. All of a sudden, you face every fear, and every anxiety, and every doubt, under the... In the context and within the framework of this massive act of love that God has shown through Jesus. And you say, I don't have to be scared of that. I don't, ha- I don't even have to be scared to die. I mean, the greatest thing that can happen to us, the worst thing in our minds that can happen to a human is obviously, "Will I die. Well, no, that's not true. If you're a believer today, it's not true. It's not true. You don't even have to fear death. Why? of Christ. You don't have to fear others. You don't have to fear the approval of others. You don't have to be driven by that. Because of Jesus you have the approval of the God of the universe. What more could you ask for? You don't have to fear being accepted by God. Amen. Because the Son was rejected in your place. If everyone on this planet forsaked you, if everyone's love for you grew cold, He doesn't. You don't even have to be perplexed in that. you're accepted and you're loved and you're cared for. So the fear of the Lord is very practical because it causes us to walk in the way of the Lord. So you walk out of thinking about why you fear the Lord and how you fear the Lord and the natural response to that is walking in His ways because you trust Him. You better believe I'm going to trust the one that walked the path that I couldn't walk and died the death that I deserve and then resurrected validating everything He said and did. You can trust Him you can have your faith placed in Him. Joseph, you guys can come on. And so fearing the Lord does not mean perfection. It means longing for obedience and confessing when we fail. But knowing that our sin, past, present, and future sin, was 100% paid for at Calvary's cross so as we close today, I don't want you to leave hoping in your work, even though we talked about the benefits that it can bring. I don't want you to leave today hoping in your family, even though we talked about the benefits that family can bring and the joy and the blessing and the contentment and all of the things that that can bring. I want you to walk out today with a a deep hope and confidence in the person and work of Jesus. And if you don't have that this morning, if you've never trusted Christ... I say this with compassion and I don't say it with any sort of... um, The wrath of God, according to John 3, remains on you. And you face a punishment and a condemnation that should cause you terror and fear. It's my hope and prayer that that fear can be alleviated. As you recognize that you do need to be saved. But just as you realize you need to be saved, you see the rescuer. And you see the only way to be rescued in Christ, in Christ alone. So believers, let's celebrate what God's done for us through His Son. And this morning, if you haven't placed your faith and trust in Christ, I would love to talk with you more in this moment or after the service. There's a room right outside of go in here and take a right in that next room. Um, there'll be a couple of elders there as well if you would like for us to pray with you if you need to talk or anything like that. Just know that that's available. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us. God, and I pray that we would be a people that walk in faith with you because of the faith that you have shown us and the mercy and the grace that you have shown us. Teach us what it means to fear you. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Stand for worship.